Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, welcome to Socks on Tap. Tony, I, my first reaction is just, fuck yes, let's go. Socks versus Detroit. That's, that's where it all starts. It all starts taking care of business in-house in the Central Division. That's right, I'm a meatball. You gotta bring that top button swag, baby. It is always great to beat the Cubs. And I'm a homer, so I always say they're gonna. Dallas Keuchel Lampson got some beards that you should be afraid of. What everybody said when he gets out there, it's me versus the other guy, and I'm gonna beat him. So I just love that mentality. It's cool and fucking tough. Steve, Steve, would you say that Tony is mad online? I, I would definitely say that. The White Sox winner. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome into Socks on Tap. This is Tony Marchese. Tonight, I'm joined by Steve. Steve, how's it going, man? This was a bit of a rough one. Hey, you know, Tone, uh, not great. Certainly haven't played particularly inspiring ball the first two games of this series, and tonight was no exception. No, you know what, Steve, that, uh, that, that about sums it up right there, but we've got a lot to get into. Before we do, uh, Socks on Tap, presented by On Tap Sportsnet and Grandstand. Steve, that's your favorite place on earth to be, I hear. That is a true story. You know, I was uh, walking, walking to the ballpark yesterday, walked uh, and saw, saw my man Josh standing outside uh, 35th Street Red Hots doing a little bit of uh, directing traffic a little bit there. Didn't make it into the store, didn't make any purchases yesterday, but uh, in short order, I shall return. I'm sure you will, Steve. I, I think you were there quite a bit over the offseason. I can only imagine that uh, only becomes more accessible to you during the season. Yeah, that's definitely uh, that's definitely an understatement right there, I would say. Yes. So, Steve, you did get the chance to uh, attend a ball game yesterday. We'll talk a little bit about that in just a little bit. Uh, but uh, the Sox tonight, Steve, fall to the Cleveland Indians by a score of two to nothing. This is an extra inning ball game uh, that they lost. Uh, we'll, we'll talk about the extra innings, too. Uh, but first and foremost, man, we had a pitcher's duel on the south side tonight. And it was everything, in my opinion, that it was billed to be. I know you wanted to talk about this pitching matchup specifically. So I'm going to let you have the floor. And let's dig in to Lucas Giolito versus Shane Bieber real quick. Yeah, like you said, Tony, this really did live up to the billing here. I think in a lot of cases, you know, we'll get these premium pitching matchups of two top of the rotation arms. And in many circumstances, it doesn't live up to the hype. That was certainly not the case today. Had both of these guys had their premium stuff going right from the outset here. And it was a very apparent early on here that this was going to be a pitcher's door and it was going to come down to who ultimately made the first mistake. And, you know, kind of seeing the, the two guys go about it in two totally different fashions. Lucas Giolito obviously really featuring that changeup tonight, had really good, strong command of it, um, utilizing both down and up in the zone there, and then obviously playing the high fastball off of it. Uh, Shane Bieber, and, and I talked about this and I tweeted this earlier, this was just breaking ball porn tonight from him. I mean, it, it was just – that thing was crisp right away from, from the outset there. And the Sox hitters really had no chance up there against this guy. And this is a guy that just showed tonight what 70-grade command looks like. I, I don't think he threw 20 balls the entire outing here today as he went through nine 
shutout innings here. And again, that just, that breaking ball was just very crisp. He really only hung about two of those throughout the entirety of the game. And he was going about 80% breaking balls here for this particular outing. So um, it was just, it was really nice to see and, and, and refreshing to watch just and also the pace of this game. Stone and Benetti kind of talked about that as well here. This really kind of symbolized all the things that can be good about the game of baseball. There's so much talk about about what is bad, and we're going to get into some of the bad later on here. But those first nine innings, man, that was just that was just classic baseball stuff right there, and I loved it. Yeah, Steve, I I really enjoy those just as much as as any other uh, baseball fan does because it kind of puts you on the edge of your seat for the entire game. Which pitcher is going to fail first? And it, you know, luckily we made it through this one, and, and Lucas Giolito goes seven and doesn't get touched up at all. Uh, I think what uh, what disappoints me is that the pitch count got a little high for Lucas as compared to uh, what Bieber was doing, which allowed him to go a little bit further in the game. Yeah, that's really the big difference uh, between the two here tonight. And again, I kind of touched on this earlier. The, the overriding difference there is the fact that Shane Bieber is a guy that has 70-grade command and he just simply was not throwing pitches outside the strike zone. Uh, Lucas obviously had pretty good control and command here throughout the entirety of, of his seven innings there, had two walks. But, you know, going into, I think, the seventh inning, Bieber wasn't even at 60 pitches at that point. I mean, everything was just in the zone. Boom, here it is. And guys were kind of going up there, especially that first time through the order, trying to be very aggressive in counts, trying to put the ball in play, trying to prevent themselves from getting into those two strike counts so that he could wipe them out with that devastating breaking ball. Um, second time through, they they kind of got away from that a little bit, and the count started getting a little bit deeper. And but again, it was every every count was seemingly 0-2 on just about every hitter. Then Beavers was putting guys away with great regularity. There was no wasted motion, nothing out of Shane Bieber tonight. It was just here it is. You're not going to hit it. No, and he really didn't get himself into any trouble throughout this game um, until very late. Uh, but, you know, man, just impressive stuff. I mean, we talked about this living up to the bill. Um, you know, you, you, you're right, man. We've seen those Chris Sale starts against, uh, you know, other pitchers who were of that ilk uh, just within the last 10 years here, and, and they never seem to live up to uh, what you would expect. And then when Verlander and Sale would go against each other, you'd get some stinkers from time to time, Steve. Uh, but tonight featured two of the best pitchers in the AL. I think everybody really enjoyed that. We got Johnny in here, big mad about the loss, but the pitching duel was a dandy. That is absolutely true, Johnny. Um, he was he was there. We'll, we'll talk a little bit about uh, what Johnny was able to capture uh, via the phone as we get into the White Sox offense here. But Steve, just any final thoughts on, on what you've seen from Lucas Giolito this far into the season? It's really been a continuation of the guy that we've seen for the last two and a half years um, going into the to the start of the 2019 season. And I think he's even elevated his, his game to another level. And that was one of the questions I had coming into the season was, does Lucas Giolito have a final gear to go and hit? And early on through his first three outings, He's really demonstrating that. He had that one kind of shaky inning in Seattle where things got away from him a little bit. Um, but there was also some some defensive miscues behind him that factored into that. But he's been really living up to that top of the rotation billing to this point, and it's been great to see. And it's been very reassuring knowing that days that he's taken the ball, 
This team's going to be in it. They're going to have a chance to win as long as they execute defensively. And if they would get a timely hit once in a while, it would certainly help the cause. Yeah, the timely hitting just hasn't been there. Uh, And something that we complain about all the time on this show is, you know, the hitting with runners in scoring position. Uh, 0 for 4 tonight for the Sox. Uh, you you'd normally see the White Sox with a few more chances than four, and I think that that just speaks to uh, Shane Peeber's night on the mound, Steve. Uh, just absolutely impressive uh, stuff from him. Goes nine, only gives up three hits, strikes out 11. Um, I think you're going to take that any day of the week from any starting pitcher in your rotation. So, again, just an absolute awesome pitching duel. Uh, you know, Johnny just said it too. He was joined in here. Uh, he was big mad about the loss, but the pitching duel was a dandy. I think that's a great way of putting it. Steve, Giolito gets relieved by Evan Marshall, and I thought Marshall's stuff tonight was was pretty damn good. Um, you know, Marshall's Marshall has the stuff, but there is questions about his game. He looked like a true eighth-inning guy tonight. Uh, any thoughts on him? It's nice to see him do it in back-to-back outings. He, he came in relief yesterday, put together a pretty strong performance there, so – he had a couple of rough outings that first week of the season here, so it kind of seems like things are stabilizing themselves a little bit, and Evan Marshall appears to be getting himself back on track, which would be a very welcome sight for a bullpen that has had some some hiccups here to start the season through the first 11 games. Absolutely, and uh, you know, I, I think – one thing that I want to continue to see is, you know, these relievers start to string together those uh, back-to-back outings like you talk about here. Um, we, we want to get some consistency there. Obviously, uh, as we go into here, there's one guy that uh, needed to build some consistency, and that was Liam Hendricks. He comes in for the ninth tight ball game, uh, Steve. And, you know, I, I think with Tony LaRusse's usage of Liam Hendricks so far, there's, there's been some questions. There's been some questions. There's been some rumblings about, you know, when to utilize the closer, uh, whether or not that he has to come in with a lead. Should we use him in the sixth inning? We've seen all sorts of, of, of crazy shit out there on Twitter. I know you have, uh, but you know, you go to Liam Hendricks here uh, after he's been, he's been touched up a few times already this season. Uh, Steve, any worries early on? Liam Hendricks, uh, he's giving you any any bad vibes right now? I know he, he went to the tarot reader, so yeah, I don't have any worries about about him specifically here. Um, one thing I kind of want to circle back on a little bit here, and you talk about the usage of Liam Hendricks. I, I just want to call out the bullshit that Steve Stone said during this game about um, you know Tony recognizing that Liam Hendricks is a guy that he can utilize in any situation that it doesn't have to be a safe situation for him to be utilized. Has he been paying attention for the first 10 games or is he just simply trying to carry some of that water that uh, Chuck Garfine is usually the one carrying? I don't know. You, you, you can raise that question. I'm sure there will be plenty of people uh, out there to, uh, to respond with, with their takes on that one. Um, you know, I'll give mine again. I, I'm I'm a baseball traditionalist, Steve. I think you know that as well. I like the closer being used in the in the same roles that Kenwo probably does. Um, but you know, that's not to say that I don't think that Liam Hendricks is is probably one of the most effective arms out of that pen and can be utilized in multiple spots. Uh, but you know, I, I think we're we're we could go down this road, Steve, and you and I can and talk about this for probably two or three hours on, on how we feel about uh, how to utilize bullpens and, 
and so forth. But I think we should just get a socks on tap Sunday fun day show together and we can just discuss, discuss bullpen usage. How do you feel about that one? That would definitely be a wide ranging discussion that would potentially end in a steel cage death match. I, I don't know. I don't know for certain, but um, <laughs> I, I know that there definitely are some pretty strong opinions on that front. Yes. Yes. There, there are some strong opinions around this show on that front. Uh, you know, well, let's, let's, let's take a break from the, from the pitching here. Let's get into uh, what transpired in the ninth inning, Steve, and what would have been a storybook kind of continuation of Yerman Mercedes early season. He hits a ball down the right field line that looks as if it's fair and the umpires uh, rule it foul. The play gets reviewed and it is called a foul ball. Steve thoughts on that play specifically, because we had two guys in the stands tonight, Johnny and Andrew Kinsler. Uh, and they had a pretty clear video that I picked up after they posted it from the socks on tap account. Um, and that ball looked fair to me. I agree. As uh, you know, when I saw that first initial replay, it looked like there was a little bit of chalk that, that dusted up um, when, when that ball hit the grass there a little bit. So I almost thought for sure that that thing was going to get overturned and that that ball was going to be ruled fair. Um, I, the one thing that really bothers me about instant replay in Major League Baseball, I think in particular with plays like this in a ninth inning situation, is we as fans, we never get to see whatever it is that they see in New York that they ultimately make their decision with. And, and that's something that has always really chapped my ass, for lack, lack of a better term here. You know, I think I think – the game would be doing itself more of a service if it would allow fans the access to be able to see, okay, this is the camera angle that you can't see in the ballpark that you can't see on your, you know, local broadcast home feed. This is the view that ultimately decided how this play was determined. Well, you see this, you see this in other sports, Steve, Uh, you know, golf in particular, you can download an app that'll give you, you know, play by play tracking of where balls go, um, on the course, you can uh, ESPN alternative broadcasts. You know, you see this all over the place. It's amazing that there's not like part of the MLB TV subscription a package that you can add on to get the New York feed, to get that the, the challenge play package, um, to get those extra clips and and live uh, stream them in into your MLB app. I think that'd be a, a money maker increased content, something right there. Yeah, because no, there there's no, people I, who want to see that stuff. I, I agree. Or, or even, you know, cause MLB is all about controlling what images and what likenesses and what videos of their product get disseminated out to the general public. Let them create their own official Twitter feed and specifically utilize it for that purpose. Yes. I mean, you know, mo- most of us are on Twitter when we're, when we're watching the games anyway, what perfect way to spur engagement than by having a dedicated account specifically for that? You know, we're, we're going to brainstorm for MLB here for a while tonight. I think that this is just one thing uh, that we'll talk about. Uh, but yeah, I mean, uh, Johnny, uh, Johnny was there fair as fuck is what he says. Um, you know, and, and what really pains me about that inning, Steve, is the fact that if, if Yerman is, is safe there at second, all right. And you get Adam Eaton 
up, uh, you know, hits a single. You've got probably uh, first and third situation for Luis Robert, who hits a ball into right field that would have been deep enough to score Yerman, I would assume, if he would hadn't been pinch run for in that situation. Uh, and th- there's your one, there's there's your run right there, and and, and you've got ball game. So right there, just that play alone uh, changes the course of of the rest of the ball game. And yes, the Sox continue to threaten in the ninth, but are eventually unable to do anything. One player I want to talk about in this situation, Yoan Moncada. Um, do you have words for Yoan Moncada right now? Are we worried, Steve? Are we worried? Are we worried about Yoan Moncada? I think it's fair to be concerned about it. I know I wrote um, kind of leading up to the season that I actually was intrigued by the idea of him being in the cleanup spot and, you know, the idea that it might force him to be a little bit more aggressive in the strike zone and and not be taking as many pitches and look to drive the ball with a little more regularity. And I thought it, in some ways it might be good for him ultimately. To this point, it certainly has not been. And I think it's very fair at this juncture here, uh, just given the fact that this team is really struggling to score runs at, at this particular point in time, and they're giving games away early on in the season here. There needs to, I think, be some serious consideration to moving him out of that number four spot. And I think what would make the most sense for the time being would be to move Yasmani Grandal into that spot with Yermin hitting fifth, and then you know, Yoan either hitting in the number two or the number six hole. You know, Steve, there's, there's plenty of ways to do this, but I think that this also points to a clear, concise thing. And that's that the White Sox miss Eloy Jimenez's bat in the middle of this lineup because he had that pop. He was your cleanup guy. Um, You know, I I think if, if he's healthy, Steve, I, I don't, see Johan Moncada batting four in this lineup. And I hate to say it, but the more that I continuously look into, you know, th- this wave of prospects that comes through um, that, that started with Moncada that went all the way through uh, Luis Robert and, and continues into Andrew Vaughn, you know, is Moncada the one that's, that's going to be the miss of this group? Um, you know, you've got one solid year in of them. I'm not, I'm not saying that it's it's set in stone here, Steve, but there's been a lot of struggle with his game, with how much potential he came into the league with. It just gets frustrating at a point where you've got him batting cleanup in a spot to end a ball game. And that, that's where the, the, the quote-unquote future MVPs, that's where they make their highlights. That's where they gain their attention. That's where they become a star. And it just it, it just feels like we haven't had enough Yoan Moncada moments to this point. That's a very fair assessment of, of the situation here. And look, he's twenty twenty obviously was was a lost year given the COVID situation, and everybody's body responds differently to it, and. I know there's a lot of people out there that say, oh, well, Freddie Freeman had COVID and he won the MVP. Again, you can't sit there and you can't say that just because one person reacted totally fine from it that everybody should. So 2020 aside. I I get where you're going with that, Steve. But at the same time, like we were billed as White Sox fans that 
Moncada's back. He's healthy. He's ready to go this year. You know, if there were still some concerns, they didn't really have to come out and and, and publicize it the way that they did and, and throw him back into this kind of, you know, center role on the team. And I think that Eloy Jimenez injury and, and Tim Anderson not being part of this lineup right now puts a lot more focus and spotlight on Moncada. And I think that one of the things that helped Moncada ease into having a great year was a lot of the attention being on Eloy Jimenez when he came up the next year. He didn't have that spotlight on him. He didn't have all eyes on, you know, we're showing up to the ballpark today to see what Yohan Moncada is doing. Right now with this lineup depleted, you kind of look up and down and you go, okay, Grandal might not be in today. What do I have here? I've got Jose Abreu. I've got Moncada. I've got Luis Robert. And Robert really hasn't been electric, so to speak, yet so far this year. So you're looking at your guy in the number four hole, and that's Yohan Moncada, all eyes on him, and he seems to be floundering in the spotlight again. That's that's where I go with it. It It's not unreasonable to have that perspective on it. Again, I think there are very fair and very reasonable concerns to have that maybe Yohan Moncada is not going to reach the ceiling that a lot of us thought that he would. Um, obviously, there's still a lot of time for him to kind of turn around this season here. If you look at some of the data and, and some of the numbers, a lot of things don't look particularly great for him offensively uh, to this point. I know he he's had a couple of loud outs, I think, in the last two or three days. He had one in, in the game on Sunday that he just hit an absolute piss missile right at um, Michael A. Taylor over in center field. But overall, the quality of the at-bats, for lack of a better term, have been shit. And that's the thing that's been very concerning to me because this is a guy that came up and had great plate discipline, almost to the point where he was too passive at the plate. Actually, it wasn't yeah. almost. It, it, well, he it, was too it, passive. It was, it was at, wildly at disgust about right. how patient he was. Right. And, and we're kind of not seeing that as much right now. He's almost kind of trying to go the total opposite end of the spectrum here where he's swinging at so many pitches early in counts and just really giving it bats away right now. And so he, he just seems like he's kind of lost in the batter's box right now. And to your point here, it might be something tied to the role of asking him to hit cleanup. Maybe that just ultimately psychologically isn't going to be the spot for him. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. And he's moved around a little bit. Like this is, Steve, this is a guy that I, I if, if if I'm picking out of the core of players that I want to succeed, that I want to hit their potential, I'm picking Yohan Moncada out of that group every time. I mean, you're talking about the guy who just his, – his build, the way that he makes contact with the ball, the way it comes off of his bat, just screaming, um, you know, just the tools that are right there. I mean, you might make an argument that Luis Roberts there too. I think Eloy's defense kind of, kind of, you know, diminishes what that value is as the overall baseball player. But if I'm looking at like one guy that I really want to to, to pan out, it's Yon Moncada. I think, I think we all do. He was the first one through here. I remember how loud the fucking stadium was the first time this guy stepped up to the plate. It was like a moment of of hope for a fan base that was so starved for everything at that point in time. I mean, we had just had everything ripped out from underneath us. And here comes Yohan Moncada up to the big leagues, and this is supposed to be the turnaround. 
I just I, I feel like again I go back to that point where I just feel like I want more moments where we're rallying around as Sox fans for something heroic that Yoan Moncada did because hell we gave up a shit ton for him we gave up our best pitcher we gave up one of the best pitchers in the game of baseball to get this guy and you look back and it's like would you rather have Rafael Devers at your corner right now with what he's done so far in his career he's had some ups and downs too um, but you know, like th- there was just so many options within that. Thank God we didn't take Andrew Benintendi, but you go back to some of this stuff and, and you want these guys to pan out. And then you see guys like Yerman Mercedes become household names in a week here. Like, I feel like we've had, and maybe it's just recency bias, but I feel like we've had a few more Yerman Mercedes magical moments than we've had Yohan Moncada magical moments in the last two years. I think there definitely is a level of recency bias um, associated with it. And I think part of it, though, too, is the fact that I think the average fan kind of sees a little bit of themselves in your mean Mercedes. They see this guy that prior to um, the COVID shutdown was not a physical specimen. Um, And he just kind of looked like a guy that you would see in a beer league softball game. But you put him in that batter's box, you put that stick in his hand, and he and he rakes. And so I think that the common man just kind of identifies with your mean Mercedes a little bit because they can sit there and they can say, hey, you know, this guy's not in great shape and, and you know, kind of like me. And he just gets in the batter's box every day and just hits. And whereas Moncada was a guy that just – You're talking like about he, you're talking about people who aren't in great shape. And then, you know, like I don't feel like that's a fair assessment coming from you. Um, you haven't seen me in a while, Tony. I got small as shit over, over the last year here, man. So, you know, you're, you're going to be in for a real, uh, rude awakening here the next time we get together here. So, um, but, uh, I digress anyway. Um, you come, you contrast that with Yoan Makata, a guy that seems like he was genetically built in a lab to play professional baseball or, or be a professional athlete of some sport or of some sort. And the fact of the matter is a lot of those tools haven't translated with the level of consistency that we were all hoping for. And that's really just a fact at at this point here. There have been some ultra highs throughout the course of that 2019 season, but there have been some, some ultra lows as well. And we're kind of going through one of those spots right now. And it's getting almost to a point where Yohan Makata is going to have to pick a direction here where he's going to have to pick a lane and we need to get some kind of clarity on what exactly this team is going to have from him going forward because a lot of people were penciling in the 2019 version of Yohan Mankata when when they were looking at the projections for this team and me just kind of looking at things I was like well let's you know I I think he can be a very good player again but saying with absolute certainty that he was going to be the 2019 version just didn't make sense to me. Well, I think, I think when you look at that 2019 version of him, you thought that that was like step one on a staircase of like five more steps. Because when I hear Yohan Moncada and you hear the, the hype around him, a lot of it is like future MVP, former number one prospect. If this guy figures it all out, he's going to be, you know, a perennial all-star, you know, the glove plays at third base. We're not questioning that he he can handle second. He can handle third. Uh, Obviously he's not going back to second anytime soon, but 
like the defense is there. The bat, when it's on, it's just so on. But there's just so much scuffling at the plate that that really it just takes away from the whole thing. And I think that if if he can figure it out, yeah, like can we get him back to that 2019 season? We're going to be great. But I think that the hopes and aspirations of Sox fans were that the 2019 season was a building block for what should have been 2020, 2021. Whereas if you're looking at him in 2019 and you're thinking, where's this gonna guy going to be in 21, 22, you're talking, yeah, MVP candidate. And now we're, we're kind of doing the same thing. We're pushing that down the road a little bit. So we're like, okay, you know, future MVP, when is that coming? Because it, it might not be in a White Sox uniform if it ever does come. Yeah, the erratic nature of, of his play has been certainly very frustrating for myself and I think for everybody involved. And I just feel we're we're at a point he's gotta he's gotta turn this shit around here real quick. And I think ultimately Tony's gotta put him in a better position to be successful. And it looks as though that is not going to be in the number four spot in the lineup. No, it doesn't. And let's let's keep rolling on here. I know we we, we got into a little bit of uh, Yohan Moncada talk, and I, I, I felt like it was necessary. Uh, but there's one other thing we want to get into. Um, the next pitcher out of the pen after Liam Hendricks was Garrett Crochet as this game rolled on into extra innings tonight. Um, and we'll talk about the extra innings briefly. Uh, but, Steve, Garrett Crochet comes out. He only works a third of an inning, uh, but it felt a lot longer than a third of an inning. This game was cruising along until uh, the extras began. It, at least it felt like that uh, That top of the 10th just went a little too long for, I think, all of our likings. But Garrett Crochet comes out, uh, does give up two hits, two earned runs, uh, right off, like pretty much right out of the gate, man. Uh, and, and one thing about it that I want to point out is the, the catcher's interference call play that that you know we had the runner who started it was Framil Reyes I believe started on second base winds up on third on this catcher's interference play where the ball comes back to Garrett Crochet and he just kind of eats it instead of throwing it to first um I, I don't I don't I wasn't there so I didn't hear if there was a call from the umpire to say dead ball if the play was played through um and I haven't done a rule review on it don't know the exact rules, so I'm not going to comment on that. But I am going to comment on the fact that in the last extra inning game, Garrett Crochet gets a ball and spikes it into the ground trying to make a play at home. This time he eats it. I don't want to say this, but I feel like he might have a little case of the yips. I think it's a little early to make that statement definitively. However, it is definitely something to monitor yes. um, because he, look, they, these are, these have been two costly scenarios here. And this is a guy that, um, you know, typically if he's going right, he's not going to induce particularly hard contact. And so he's going to be a guy that's going to need to field his position and to field it effectively. He's not doing that right now. So, um, that's something that has to get cleaned up here in very short order, especially it seems like for whatever the reason, Tony is is going to designate him as that 10th inning guy. 
So and I don't be- I and I don't like that for the reason of you've got him coming in with a runner on second base and and it's just too easy to bunt somebody over. And yes, good baseball teams are going to have a pitcher on the mound that's able to field the ball and throw it to first base. I know that that play wasn't a bunt, but it easily could have been. And you probably would have seen the same thing. And that's where I'm I'm getting concerned now. If he's the 10th inning guy, that there's a book on him already. Yeah, I think I think that could very well be the case is opposing managers may simply force him to have to field the ball and have to make a play to get that initial out there. Um, I think Tony's logic and his rationale behind using crochet in that spot is because he theoretically should be a guy that misses a lot of bats and gets a lot of strikeouts, which is what, what you ultimately need in that particular spot. We saw that from Karen check tonight over on, uh, on the Cleveland side of the equation here, getting the two quick strikeouts before the uh, Jake lamb scare to the warning track. And for whatever the reason, in these in these particular spots, crochet just is not um, he, he's not doing that. He's not missing the bats the way that it it is being drawn up here to this juncture. And 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 this is what I really just want to dig in on with you here, real quick, is Garrett Crochet coming into the year. I would absolutely love having him in that situation. If before a game is played, and I've seen him throw a pitch in a, in a ball game. I, I, I love that move because last year, Garrett Crochet comes out of the pen. He's pumping 101, 102, um, throwing shit right by everybody. And now we're seeing 96, 97, which is, I mean, still fairly fucking impressive. Let's be real. But it's not the same Garrett Crochet that we saw last season when he was brought up to, to be a staple in that pen. He just does not look as intimidating, and I cannot convince myself that he is not pitching injured right now, Steve. I, we, we talked about it a little bit before uh, we got on here, and uh, you, you tweeted about it that you miss Garrett Crochet uh, throwing a lot harder uh, tonight, but let's – Let's talk about it. What's going on with Garrett Crochet? He's definitely missing that extra gear that he had when he was brought up last uh, last season in 2020. For whatever the reason, as you mentioned, it is not there. Is it some lingering side effect from the forearm elbow issue that he sustained in that wild card game against Oakland? Um, is he maybe making a conscious effort not to – fully unleash everything right now because of that. Those are questions we can't answer right now. And I think that those are some interesting questions that it, it would be helpful if those that were actually around the team on a consistent basis would ask those types of questions of Gary Crochet, of Tony La Russa, of Ethan Katz. Is there a concerted effort being made to try to have him rein it in a little bit and dial back the velocity to be able to make it throughout the course and the entirety of a full 162 game season. Whereas last year it was that, you know, quote unquote 60 game sprint. And he was only up there for the last, you know, 10 games of that. So he was really in a position where he was able to go and just air it out completely every single outing. So, and see Steve, this, this is where I get concerned with the white Sox 
in particular, because if you have Garrett Crochet last year and you call him up and, and the instruction is, let this shit rip. We don't care if you blow your arm out. We're trying to you know push into the playoffs and go. Obviously, that plan failed very quickly uh, in the first the first playoff series. That might have been the plan, but if that was the plan, that was pretty dumb in my opinion. Because number one, you come out here and you're putting this kid at risk, and and we can talk about that all day. But number two, like you're trying to maximize an asset in the short term that you drafted in the first round to be something long-term. And right now I just, I I look at him pitch. I don't know about you. I look at Garrett Crochet on the mound and he does not look like he has the same amount of confidence in anything than he did last year, running out of the pen. And that's weird to me, considering the fact that he came straight out of college right onto the major league field in a year that's just completely crazy, had that kind of confidence, that kind of stuff, was pumping that kind of heat, and then all of a sudden now just doesn't look the same, isn't fielding the position right. And last year you weren't even really worried about Garrett Crochet fielding his position because he was pumping fucking gas past everybody and nobody can touch him. So if if that was the plan, boy, Okay, we, we've, we've got things to talk about. But number two to that is if Garrett Crochet is being instructed to dial it back by the pitching staff in order to you know maintain his longevity through the year, you're also decreasing his effectiveness. And then when you use him in spots like this, these are the results. Yeah, look – Crochet could be one of those guys that has to go full bore the the entire time that he is out there on the mound. He might be one of these very guys that simply only knows one gear and one speed as far as attacking hitters. And if you ask him to not operate at that particular speed that he's accustomed to, he may not be as effective. And we're seeing it to this point. Um, he's not missing the bats with the regularity that he did in the short sample size that we saw last year. Now, you know, he is still getting his strikeouts in there, but to your point, there is a lot more contact than what we saw last year. And I think a lot more than what we anticipated coming into this season from him. Yeah. And I don't know. I mean, and this is, this is an interesting one. We did have a a comment. Are the Sox missing Cooper and Steve for, for, for Ethan, for Ethan Katz, as, as he rolls in with Giolito and he's done some stuff with Dylan Cease and a lot of guys are raving about him. A lot of pitching coaches do have some guys that they're going to miss on. They're going to give the wrong advice to. I'm not saying that – I mean, it's way too early to say this, but maybe this isn't the the exact profile of pitcher that that works well with him. Who knows? I don't don't know what's going on here. I'm sure that these guys will figure it out, or we're going to get an announcement at some point in time. I love that you brought up the fact that – if the team had guys around it that were asking these questions, I feel like if you and I were in, in the, uh, the post game presser and Garrett crochet was made available to the media, these are the questions that we would ask. Why is your velocity down? Is this, is this, you know, just the questions about, is this something that you've been asked to do? Um, You know, is, is there a, is there a different tone that you've taken to this season? Are you working on something at lower velocities to try and accommodate this X, Y, Z, you're not going to get those answers. We can speculate about it, 
but this just just does not seem like the same Garrett Crochet that we had before. It's definitely not the same guy that that we saw really burst onto the scene last year. So it, it is definitely something to continue to monitor here as the season progresses. Again, we're only 11 games into this thing. Um, you know, bad 10 and 11 game stretches do happen. If it was, you know, if it was mid June and this team were seven games above 500 and they have a five and six stretch, I don't think that there would be the panic freakout level that we're seeing right now. And I think a lot of that is just simply a function of the fact that we don't have sample size to base it on. So there are still people out there that are saying, well, you know, this, maybe this is nothing but a 500 team. And I personally don't subscribe to that theory. I think it's just a team that has had a number of different things go wrong here in the early part of the season. They've had some significant injuries to Aloy, who, you know, you're going to miss for most of, if not the entirety of the season, you lose your starting shortstop and your, and your leadoff hitter. So that has a significant impact. And you, you just you simply had some bad luck um, go, going in there. And, and you've had some poor mental and, and physical mistakes and just not playing sound fundamental baseball. And sometimes that happens in the early part of the season. Yeah, Steve. And you talk about it. We talk about Timmy is the straw that stirs the drink for the White Sox. Um, you know, that that's 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 very much missed by this team. Um, and yeah, a 10 game stretch without Timmy, that'll, that'll be a different White Sox team than, than a lot of these opponents are going to see later on in the season. You still got a lot of games to play against the Cleveland Indians. Tim Anderson in the lineup could have changed it tonight. Who knows? Um, but I want to move on from this one, Steve, obviously, uh, the Cleveland Indians defeat the White Sox two nothing. Um, Garrett Crochet does give up those two runs. Uh, I believe it was uh, Matt Foster who comes in to relieve him to get us out of that jam. White Sox unable to do anything in their half of the 10th inning. Um, You know, we've talked too much about this one. We've got another game tomorrow, Steve. Um, You know, you got to come out tomorrow and and take this series. You have to. Um, You know, we've got too much – Good in this well, game. Tony, they, the can't pitching take, they, they can't take the series tomorrow. Well, we can't take it. We've got a four-game series, but we need to get ourselves in a position to take the series. Yeah, look, I'm I say that I, we I, need I, to put we, ourselves we, in a position to take the series. But you've got to you've got to build off another strong pitching performance in your starting rotation. Yeah, you know we're starting to see the the starting rotation take a step forward here that I thought that they would take. Um, it will be nice, and it w- it's going to be interesting to watch Carlos Rodon, how he responds to this you know, illness, whatever it was that caused him to have his start from Monday pushed back to tomorrow. Um, going up against Zach Plesak, a guy that has had some pretty good success against the Sox in his very short major league career here. Um, a guy that I, always, I think is probably going to employ the same philosophy and the same game plan that we saw uh, today from Shane Bieber, I think we're going to see a lot of breaking balls and a lot of sliders from Zach Plesak tomorrow. And that's something that is really a strong pitch for him. So hopefully the hitters are able to make some adjustments here after seeing uh, Bieber throwing a box of breaking balls up at them here today. And hopefully we get a little bit better at bats and get some more offensive output. 
Yeah, and it, it will be interesting to see Carlos Rodon. The White Sox rotation shuffled up a little bit uh, due to Carlos Rodon getting scratched from his last start with an illness. Heard it was, you know, some stomach troubles. Who, who knows? But uh, Carlos Rodon was impressive in his first start this year. He is 1-0, has not been touched up for a run yet. Did strike out nine. So let's let's give Carlos Rodon some some credit here in this early going in, in his season. Um, he's come back and looked somewhat impressive. Uh, again, small sample size, Steve, but let's – Let's just get into this pick to click for tomorrow. Who do you got on the offense? All right. On the offensive side, assuming he's in the lineup, and that's a really big assumption these days here, um, I'm going to take his money Grandal. Yeah, you know, he's he's one that I would probably have picked more often so far, but I feel like just the, the amount of time he spends on the bench it just makes it really difficult to pick him. Uh, you know, I'm going to go Yon Moncada because I want to speak this into existence. As Buzz would say, uh, he loves to feast on Cleveland, or at least he he has in the past. It's time to to continue that story. Yon Moncada will get the job done tomorrow. That's who I'm going with. Let's go. All right, Steve. That's all I've got for the show tonight. It's awesome talking baseball with you. Uh, I know we didn't get a chance to touch on extra innings and that bullshit, but we will probably have multiple opportunities to do so uh, throughout the course of this season. Uh, Steve, this one sucked. There's another game tomorrow. That's the beauty of baseball. I don't have much else. Be sure you're going to ontapsportsnet.com for all your Chicago sports literature and podcasting needs, as my good guy Buzz would say. Steve, White Sox forever. White Sox for life.